0: This episode of Live in Corporate is brought to you by Blind. Blind is a trusted community of more than 5 million verified professionals. On Blind, professionals connect and have honest discussions about salaries and what it's really like to work at or interview with a company. You can also join your private company channel to have a candid and safe conversation with your coworkers about what's really going on. And because it's anonymous, you can be honest and trust what you read. Check out teamblind.com to get the latest insights and the answers to your workplace questions.
1: This is Including You, the new series from LEAD at any level. Including you what's features stories from Chief Diversity it's Officers Tristan, and, and other executives for who are creating inclusive cultures in their organizations. Today, Our goal is to show what's working in companies just hopping. like yours. To give you the Before tools you need to keep pushing hopping, for progress in your, your own workplace, we want to create belonging and opportunity for everyone, a including you. And now here's your host, Amy C. Wanninger, According to Robert Haas, 64% of employees favor job hopping.
2: Welcome back Up to Including You. My name is Amy years years C. Wanninger. I'm your host. Show I'm also the founder and Gen CEO of Lead Editing level. level. My guest today Especially is Chris if they work Smith. In tech, Chris retail, is a senior advisor for diversity, the main equity, reason inclusion that most of belonging, job hop is due to limited with career the building growth. People which Under provides innovative solutions for to integrate technology Now, a buildings new study and done by Sky
0: and invoice
2: thought leadership found and that job hoppers receive a 23 this virginia based in company employs, employs average, about 175 people and serves the
3: federal <laughs> government for 3 to 8 Chris, years compared to their likewise counterparts. i am so happy
2: to meet you and chat with you, you about the you're going to be cautious about jobs company did i had all sorts of questions and i'm sure my viewers are going to have to pay due to how Volatile, the I'm curious. Is.
1: So First you have to of ask all, yourself, is what is the intersection really of
2: building stagnant jobs? Well, it depends on the reason people. that you're leaving. And how does Do that make to feel stagnant work? If you In the can't di- see any room for growth if you've had a conversation
1: with your boss you. or HR. Quite simply, it becomes be into what we
3: call EEJ or social justice. According um, to a Gallup call, only at 36% of employees and, like, feel people engaged in their work and workplace. Of how if work is solely about getting a paycheck for uh, you, then it the might be time for something different. Of laws, being disengaged at work significantly so impacts your mission, performance example, due to increased stress levels and feelings not. of inadequacy. So that's what it really looks at when it comes to Do you have a terrible in our buildings, I get in it. Our we've all heard the phrase, people don't leave jobs, they leave marriage. also research to back that up. But have fair access and people's access to the and healthy if healthy the or, issues, or resources they also do we have access to voice in, the decision making you want to make sure you need the job for a healthy not environment because it's change energy, we look at communities don't who put don't have in access position to, to regret the future of renewable energy when it comes so, to like solar energy absolutely and these are front you just want to make sure you that do it for the right. have been disproportionately this carried, tip was brought to you by uh, the burden of Consulting. check us out on instagram twitter and facebook at resume, or connect with me investment under or just all around disenfranchisement and as a result and this is a great linker is that because they have these particular energy and environmental particularities, and this disenfranchisement let's say a disaster hits they have less resources or less access to resources that could be life-saving. So it's a it, it goes everything from making sure that you can have drinkable water, you have access to clean water, that you have access to a consistent power grid, or that you're not being poisoned by some old power grid that is now dysfunctional or an old rotting factory that is now spreading pollutants into the water and the air. So it goes into that.
2: So before you answered that question, I thought, wow, this is a really niche thing. And then when you answered it, I'm like, this is huge. How are they doing this with just 175 people? <laughs> so thank you for kind of taking the blinders off for me so that I can see the scope of, of the work that you're engaged in. This is hu- because we're talking not only, I'm just thinking about all of the news stories that I've seen and all of the experiences that I've heard, things like climate change, and how it's disproportionately affecting people based on economics, race, geography. Our crumbling infrastructure, of course, is largely dependent on economic access and economic factors in the communities. And of course, Mm -hmm. there are all sorts of disparities there. Excuse me, we're seeing at the time of this recording, we're waiting on some rulings from the Supreme Court about the EPA and Mm -hmm. administrative Mm -hmm. oversight responsibilities from from the administration and what's possible and feasible. So you're really talking about not just global policy, but national policy, local policy, zoning laws, building codes, accessibility. This is really far reaching and -hmm. very deep, right? Yes, extremely
3: deep. This is actually very personal. Quick backstory, my mother suffered from cancer. Because at the time, at, a, at an army base, they buried radioactive material underneath where then they built the residence. And there's statistical data that shows there was an uptick of people who either had babies with birth defects or who developed cancer later on in life because we did not properly dispose of radioactive material. It's, it's, it, it has to do with everything. And one of the biggest things that I'm currently working on is making sure that our funds are going to people who are knowledgeable and aware of these things, these atrocities, honestly. Because traditionally, you look at a lot of big companies or corporations and the like, they have not been, I'll say, the most <laughs> with it. They haven't taken the time to understand how putting materials in a certain place or not including certain voices in a process or in a or in a program has literally just negatively affected entire communities for generations. So it's a big, it is, it's a big push. And
2: And I'm thinking too about just the continued exacerbation of inequality here, Mm. because what happens is there's a downward spiral of free values, right? The people who, are, who have the least resources to fight these sorts of things, that's where it ends up. Property values diminish because that's where these things end up. And then there's just this continual cycle. What specific areas are you focused on in your advisory role? Are you looking specifically at groundwater, for example, or disposal of contaminants or government policy? What is your specific area of focus?
3: So currently I'm in the office that focuses on advanced manufacturing. That has to do with everything from what are what tools and resources are we going to use as our base products from here on out in our manufacturing, like moving away possible from coal and oil and moving towards more renewable energy sources like solar and electric and wind. And how can we incorporate that continuously within our entire structure? So I'm looking at one access to that. How can we make sure that the funding in that is reaching those communities and we're hearing the vo- and stakeholder engagement making sure these communities whether it be the workforce development training programs or looking at institutions that have often been looked over like minority serving institutions for example hbcus predominantly black institutions asian american or pacific islander serving institution and definitely tribal institutions that serve our native american community How? What voice do they have in this? And also, what access do they have to policy and decision making concerning this? And how can they also their communities profit off of this? There are a lot of places in traditional traditional manufacturing areas that have seen an extreme economic decline because we are moving away from certain forms of manufacturing. How can we then push these new forms of manufacturing? Create training programs for these environments and for these people so that they can have a stake into what we want to move towards while still maintaining our national infrastructure. So that's really what I'm looking at right now. It's it is. I am not a STEM person, <laughs> but I am learning so much every single day. And really, and it took the blinders off me my first day when I'm reading these documents. I'm like, wow, this has far reaching implications from the granular nuances to the huge policy levels. And we have to make sure that it's not just And a lot of advisors and I, we talk about this all the time, that it's not just our voices being heard. Our goal is to make sure, one, that diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, accessibility is something that we think about day to day in our positions, regardless of that's your specialty. We have to make this a systemic thing. We have to systematically put it into everything that we do. And two, we have to find ways to make it longevity. So if an administration changes or if something else changes, these things can still be followed through.
2: You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about just the breadth of this, right? Like the, the way that Native peoples have been forced onto smaller and smaller plots of land in the least desirable areas of the country. Mm-hmm. I was watching a, a news story just last week about a group that had, and they had just millions of acres and now they're on this very small coastal neighborhood they're down to a neighborhood that's being eroded due to climate change and they don't want to leave because that's their land that's all the land they have left but at the same time their property is literally washing into the ocean and so are you looking at this from a you're looking at it from a national policy perspective are you traveling to these areas and talking to people on the ground or is this more, I don't want to say theoretical work, but is it boots on the ground work for you or is it removed and broader thinking?
3: So in my current position, I'm more of the policy broader thinking. How can we get the not right people boots on the ground instead of the people who have been traditionally? In prior positions, I used to work for a FEMA where I was more boots on the ground. You could see the impact of disasters and environmental inc- inconsistencies on communities. And it really pushed me to go to the policy realm and the funding world. We particularly live in a nation where money is everything. And if we're going to make changes, we have to put money where our mouth is, and as the saying says. So I'm more focused on, hey, we have this particular organization or this manufacturing company that has a very good reputation with Not only serving the communities correctly, but making sure that any damage that they do, that they find ways to fix it or they compensate. Or they just have policies and procedures in place where they don't do that damaging. Or looking at, well, if we're going to try to build these type of pipelines, if we're going to try to build this, how can we make sure we avoid certain lands? How can we so on and so forth? And what people can we bring in to advise us to do that? I want to know where the money's going. Because that's what matters. And that's what gets the boots on the ground, the resources that they need. And I need to make sure that the way that we allocate these funds is equitable. Make sure there is an implicit bias. In it. And if there is, what checks are we putting to make sure that implicit bias doesn't keep the same cycle going over and over again? I want to know what we're doing on where are these billions and trillions of dollars going? And are we doing something different with them? And if we're not, we need to.
2: So where does the accountability come in for that? Because a lot of times I think the perception of the public is that the people who give the most money to government get the most money from government. So how is where are you seeing the accountability for the change?
3: Okay. So on because we're currently a contractor to the Department of Energy, currently it's in the mandation of diversity, equity, and inclusion plans into proposals that look for funding. We're looking at metrics that have to be given from these organizations or fundees that are fundees that in order to maintain this contract, you have to give these these certain metrics. How much power is going to go to these? For example, if you're going to re refurbish a grid, how much power is going to make sure it's going to go into disadvantaged communities? And is that fixed part of that? If you're going to do this complete solar or wind project where you're trying to replace pieces of things with solar or wind. You have to tell us how this is going to benefit in a specific and measurable way that we can hold you accountable on how it's going to do this. And it's still in its beginning phases because STEM has traditionally been an area that has been very, extremely, disproportionately heavy towards a certain demographic and a certain gender. So looking at not changing the makeup of the people who make the decisions so that these things can happen having accountable metrics that they have to report back in order to continue to get funding or in order to continue to contract with us at all but also how we review these type of applications for these large multi-million dollar projects again implicit bias is huge if you know that you have a university a Harvard University or University of Michigan who are these huge research institutions that often have and historically have had the backing from the government from the beginning, from its inception to have these resources, as opposed to North Carolina a and who has an extremely great STEM program, but has not been backed in the same manner, looking at getting rid of, on their applications, those names and just looking at their ability in leveling the playing field. So voices that aren't often in power or aren't often utilizing these massive amounts of funds to make an impact can. So it's making sure from the top end that we are having
1: who we need
3: to have that, are, that the people who are making decisions are diverse. And it's a slow process, but it's a necessary.
2: So as you're working from the top down, from national policy on down, I'm thinking about everyday people in the U.S. What can we do to help promote equity in economic justice and environmental justice? What can everyday people do to help further your mission?
3: I'll say the first thing you can do is one, pay attention. There are so many organizations and communities that try to reach out to communities and get little feedback. If you want your voice to be heard, you have to talk, have to respond. You have to be willing to engage and. Also, and I think with an engagement, you have to understand that this thing is a huge process. In this engagement, the policy decisions that we're making now, we're not going to see the effects and changes of these for maybe 20 to 50 years, because it takes changing an entire infrastructure in an entire environment, rebuilding itself in order for these changes to happen. And so that was it. Be, be patient and engage. Second of all, when you're being patient and engaged, do the little things and take the opportunities that you all can every single day to be a part of that change. There are, and, and even if that's generational differences, if you're an older individual and you're so used to things like you're so used to manufacturing happening, this, there are job programs out there that we're putting out particularly for that demographic that will allow you to work if you still want to work advantage of those situations we have to get out of our own stubbornness sometimes and be willing to take advantage of the situation and do that as well when it comes to other demographics be willing just be open to change and be open to learning new things so that we can move forward because the biggest is one of the biggest issues we're dealing with right now is how are we going to physically maintain this infrastructure how many knowledgeable technical hands do we have and who, who, where are we going to get them? How are we going to train them? How are we going to make these type of jobs interesting to people? Like for me, am I going to be the person that hoists myself up 100 feet in the air to fix a bolt on a windmill? No. But <laughs> I want to make sure that if policy isn't your thing, if accounting isn't your thing, if college isn't your thing, you have a job that is not only important, but necessary for the furtherment of the country and our own health and well-being. So it's like we have to buy into the system to get from the system a little. And there's, again, there's always improvements. We're still human. We're going to have our bits of corruption. We're going to do it. I always encourage people to name a civilization that has it.
2: That's fair. That's fair. And you bring up an interesting point. We've talked on this show and I've talked in some other programs that I've done with folks about how the trades have been neglected Mm -hmm. for so long as a viable career option, as a good path to middle class work. And partially because of that, the demand for trades has gone up, Mm -hmm. compensation for people in the trades has gone up. And so it's even more true now maybe than it used to be that these are paths to jobs that that are family sustaining, Mm -hmm. that are broadly needed, that are constantly hiring. And what I'm hearing from you is not only is all of that true, but it's also how we future-proof our nation.
3: Yes. Yes. We need the sectors of people. One, first and foremost, we need to protect those sectors of people, and we need to change our messaging around the trades. I remember growing up, I was talking to, I spoke to so many people, and we had a trade school that some people who were in high school that were at they said, would go to a trade school, and they were always looked down upon. And I'm like, why? This person could come out be a construction worker at 18 and be making at least 70 more thousand dollars than I am while I'm a freshman in college and building up a career. But it's the perception and mentality that we have around the blue collar work, that it's less than, that it's not as important, when really it's the backbone of the entire nation. And without it, we can fall. I could read a book all day, but if I don't know how to put a solar panel together, we might be screwed. It's like, it's needed. And we need to change our messaging. We wanna make sure that these people have support and that in our economy and our laws and our policies that we're supporting this social economic class or this labor class so that they know that they are an important part, give them a voice, give them rights, give all of them the same consideration and importance that we give tech billionaires. Because honestly, when it comes to critical materials, if these people don't make the critical materials or have the proper manufacturing mechanisms, there's no computers.
2: And we've seen that. We've seen that in this country in the last two years where we've run out of things or we have things that we can't get because we can't get them from point A to point B because there aren't people to transport. Exactly. Or the bridges don't, don't work. Right. <laughs> the bridges have crumbled. And so you've got somebody who you had everybody to make the thing and you had the people to transport the thing, but the bridge crumbled. So now they can't get from point A to point B. And all of that comes down to not investing in not investing our people, not investing our attention, not investing our resources, and our time and our money into building up the trades and ensuring that our infrastructure is maintained and future ready. And so then when you add to that, the complexity that we're going to run out of fossil fuels at some mm-hmm. point, and also that's damaging other areas of our economy. <laughs> yeah. Now you've got, now you're just doubling down on that demand. And I just, I think it's, I'm so comforted to know that there are smart people that are, devoting every single day to solving these problems. And there are mm-hmm. at least 175 of you, which makes me happy. I think it's probably not enough, but it makes me very happy to know that these things are being managed at every single stratum and across, across the country. What do you see as the future of this work? Is it more of the same or is there some transformational leap that you need to take in your own work to further this cause?
3: I'm, it's going to sound crazy to say, The next step in my work is where I'm not needed anymore because everything is already normalized and standardized and built into our. I hope for the day that I'm unemployed because I'm not needed. Not because I'm not wanted, because I'm not needed. When I can walk into a room and I can already hear bits and pieces of conversations that are already like, we need to think about this community when we do this, or how are we not reaching this community, or do we have the proper stakeholder engagement are we making sure our funding is going to the right places? How diverse are our workforce? Why is everybody in charge look homogenous? What's going on? Like where this is the norm, the next step for me is where I'm no longer necessary and then I can do something else. Where it's getting to that place. And now the next immediate step is making sure that we have processes and, procedure, processes and procedures in line that can be standardized and can be institutionalized that automatically have big checks and balances to make sure that we're taking care of the most disadvantaged communities or the communities that aren't involved in the processes or in the policy making or don't have a voice the way that they should. Because it starts from there. And then we can work on the technical aspects. We can figure that stuff out. But we need the voices. We need a more diverse group of people working in the energy field, in all the STEM fields. And we need in order for it to be heard. It's somewhat difficult being, it seems like, the lone voice in the wilderness. So I, mean <laughs> yeah. I
2: mean more. Yeah. I mean Together, I think, and I think that's so important, right? It takes all of mm-hmm. us together and everybody can focus on their peace, but we all need to focus on our peace in solidarity with one another. Exactly. Exactly. Because Everything needs attention. There are times when you look around and you think, "Oh my God, everything's broken." Everything is broken sometimes. It's, I can't be everywhere. You don't have to be everywhere. Exactly. Do your thing, travel in your lane, but look around sometimes and say, "Hey, let's work together on this. Let's partner yeah. on this. Let's collaborate. Let's build a coalition." As I'm doing my work, how do I think about how that impacts your work? Exactly. And start to really internalize these messages and systematize these these overlaps so that as we connect with one another, we remember to carry that voice forward in our work wherever that work ends up.
3: And I'll definitely say, make that voice something that's very critical in the beginning beginning education around science, technology, and engineering mechanics. That there should be particular classes or not even just individual classes, it should be integrated into every subject. Every class you take, there should be an element of it in there saying, okay, this is how we look at this, this is how we look at that, so and so forth. This is what it means to society with this, so that when we have people who are going to to be the decision makers, to who are going to be applicants, who are for different opportunities, who are going to be the who are going to be the people who build and create the technology, of the future for us, that they have it in mind. And it has to become ingrained in our society that this is necessary. It's very sad that we have to have people that specialize in diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging and accessibility. It is. The more I think about it, it's it's disconcerting that this is actually a thing. That has to be because it's not just normal. But until that thing happens, I'm here.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think the good news is you've got job security. The bad news is you've got job security. <laughs> Chris, this has been such an enlightening conversation. Again, I am so glad that you are you and doing the work that you're doing. And, you know, that there are good practiced expert hands at the wheel of this because it is so sorely needed. And I promise to do my part to make sure that I am more aware about things as simple as local zoning issues, where roads are going to be put, and speaking up about inequities there. Because I think it, like you said, it takes all of us where we are doing what we can with what we have.
1: If you've enjoyed this episode, follow Lead at any level on LinkedIn and YouTube then join us for including you video simulcast every thursday at noon eastern including you can also be enjoyed each week as part of the living corporate audio podcast series available on all major podcast platforms learn more at living-corporate.com including you is brought to you in part by lead at any level a boutique training and consulting firm improving employee engagement and retention for companies that promote from within lead at any level Leaders can be anywhere and should be everywhere. Learn more at at leadatanylevel.com. Lead at Any Level and its logo are registered trademarks of Lead at Any Level, LLC. The views and opinions of guests on our show do not necessarily reflect the positions of Lead at Any Level, Living Corporate, or the sponsors of Including You.
2: That's it for this week's episode of Including You. Join me next week when my guest will be Vanessa Nazario from Memorial Health System in South Florida.
0: Living Corporate is brought to you by Doximity. Doximity helps over 2 million medical professionals. We are the largest medical network that includes over 80% of physicians and over 50% of physician assistants and nurse practitioners. We don't take that responsibility lightly and committed to working towards a more equitable world inside and beyond our virtual office walls. If you want to learn more about Doximity, check out your app store at D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y. That's D-O-X-I-M. I-T-Y.